The following message was given by Nick Kidwell, the senior pastor of Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. Well, we have the privilege uh, yet again this morning of diving into the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, As a church, we're walking through the book of Matthew, and specifically right now we are in the Sermon on the Mount. And the past few weeks have definitely had some weightiness to them as we've discussed marriage and God's design for marriage and human sexuality. This week we get a little bit of a lighter tone. Uh, However, as with all of God's Word, even those bits that don't feel quite as heavy or significant to us are just as important. In fact, today as we read about oaths, and the importance of being people of our word, we're getting at the very heart of who our God is, trustworthy and true. And this topic, oaths and commitments, is one that is actually immensely practical to us and likely will be convicting for us this morning. I was certainly convicted this week as I was preparing this message of the many ways that I have broken my word or failed to complete commitments, uh, however big or small. And quickly, I had one of my greatest parenting fails come to mind. It's the day that I vowed that I would never uh, make a vow or a promise to my daughter again because of a fail I had. When, When Anna was younger, she could have some very unexplainable fears over certain movie characters. Tended to be characters who were short, had big heads and black hair. That was kind of the trend we found. (laughs) But uh, there was one particular season where she was absolutely terrified of the boss baby. Now, I brought a picture. I have a picture. This is him. She was terrified of the boss baby. All right, we can get him gone. I don't need him looming over my shoulder. Well, the movie The Boss Baby was marketed like no movie I've ever seen before, And the marketing seemed to go on forever and ever. I feel like throughout a year, you'd go to the movie theaters and there were pictures for the boss baby. Well, Anna, she was so terrified, she didn't want to even look at the boss baby. So one day, we are heading to the movies. Anna begins to panic as we're getting closer to the theater. Is is he going to be there? Is the boss baby going to be there? Am I going to see the boss baby? No, I'm assuring her. We get there, I look, and it seems like, well, this movie must have finally come out because I didn't see any more posters, there were no more billboards, so again, she's panicking. I had to carry her through the lobby with her head in my shoulder, even though I assured her he was nowhere to be found, just in case she's got her head in my shoulder. So we get into the theater and the previews start. Again, is he going to come? I'm scared, what if he comes? Well, I'm certain at this point Boss Baby's come out, so the posters are gone, Anna, I say something like this to her, Anna, I I absolutely guarantee you there will be no boss baby. The movie's come out. You're completely safe. I promise. Well, finally, she trusts me and she turns towards the screen. The next preview starts and it's this little animated thing with a Lumiere and it's like these little toy Lumiere Cogsworth from Beauty and the Beast. Well, Anna likes that. She likes Beauty and the Beast, but they're being like controlled by somebody talking for them. Well, she's enjoying that, and then the camera pans back, and who's controlling them but the boss baby? (laughs) She freaks out. You said he wasn't going to be here. Oh, happy, you know, is glaring at me like, why did you tell her there would be no boss baby? 
I was shocked. I thought the movie had come out, but apparently it hadn't come out. Come out. And I remember thinking, that is the last time I ever make a promise to my daughter. It's a very playful example, but it is one that gets at the heart of what Christ is addressing for us this morning. As kingdom people, our words should mean something. We should be people who can be trusted and who speak the truth. What was most crushing in that moment with me and my daughter is knowing that surely just a little bit of trust she had for me was lost that day. You promised me he wouldn't be there and there he was. Well, if we want to be people who to the best of our abilities reflect the trustworthiness and the truthfulness of our God, uh, then we need to hear the Lord's words this morning. So if you would, please open with me to Matthew chapter 5. We will be reading verses 33 to 37, where we read Jesus discuss the matters of oaths and promises. And let me pray for us before we read. Father, we ask that you be with us this morning. As we know you are, you have promised us that when we gather together, you are with us, Lord. So we trust in that promise this morning. You have also promised us that if we seek you, we can find you. If we call upon you, You will listen, and so we are seeking you this morning, Lord, and we ask for your Holy Spirit. You have also promised us that if we ask of you for your Holy Spirit, you will give it to us. And so we ask this morning for your Holy Spirit that we would understand your word. I ask for your Holy Spirit that I might preach uh, your word with conviction and truth and clarity. Father, we pray all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew 5, 33. And again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, we have the Lord using this formula he has been throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, followed by, but I tell you. And to quickly reiterate, what the Lord is doing here is not dismantling the law that had been given to the people through Moses, but what he's doing is helping them and helping us to understand what was the intention and the heart of the law to begin with. In this case, the Lord is helping us to understand his perspective on oaths. Now, not many of us, apart from formal legal settings, likely engage with oaths, a formal oath. And my guess is many of us probably don't swear by heaven very often. But the principles that the Lord is saying and laying down for us here still have a lot of application for us this morning. Now, to give some definition, when we're speaking of oaths, when the Lord is speaking of oaths, we're speaking of a a promise intended to guarantee our word. We're not speaking necessarily of covenants or commitments or promises themselves. We will make those things. It's not wrong to make a commitment to another person, 
Our God certainly makes commitments to us. This isn't what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about oaths which are intended as a guarantee to get someone to trust us. You could think of it this way. A promise is a commitment to another person to do something. An oath is intended to establish trust with another person that they might believe our promises. You can imagine us saying, I swear on my mother's grave, I'm not lying. Or the famous gone with the wind quote, as God is my witness, I'll never go hungry again. An oath is you calling upon something higher, more sacred, more valuable than yourself to give validity to what you say. We see this in our passage, people calling upon heaven, the throne of God, Jerusalem, or even their own heads. So this is what we're talking about when we're talking about oaths, when the Lord's talking about oaths. And in our passage, we see the Lord come down pretty firmly on them. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Now, I do not believe that this is the Lord saying there's never a time or a place for an oath. To help us understand that, let's draw from our discussion last week. Last week, we interacted over a passage in Matthew 19 where the Lord spoke about divorce. He made clear that divorce was not God's intent or design. He says we should not get divorces and even states that divorce was akin to adultery, to which the Pharisees replied, if it's not supposed to be, why then did Moses tell us to write a certificate of divorce? What we discussed was that Moses, in fact, did not command people to divorce or give an endorsement to it. Rather, the law of God made concessions for human sin and presented case law of how to regulate situations in the unfortunate event that divorces do occur. A similar thing's taking place here. You have heard it said. Jesus is referencing the law. Laws such as Leviticus 19, where the Lord says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Though we get no Pharisees questioning Jesus here in our passage, you could imagine a very similar question being posed to him. Jesus, if we're not to take oaths, why then did Moses command us to take an oath? To which again you could hear the Lord say, from the beginning this was not so, but rather because of your hardness of heart do oaths exist. Leviticus 19 does not command us to swear by the name of God. It simply says, if you do, make sure you do not do it falsely. When we read here in this passage, do not take an oath, the Lord's not so much saying you can never take an oath for any oath is sinful. Just like divorce in our sinful world, there are certain situations where oaths occur. We see God himself in the scriptures make oaths which we will discuss shortly. But what he's saying here is there should be no need for oaths in the kingdom of God. God's people should be trustworthy. And their yeses or their noes should simply be enough in any situation. We shouldn't be the kind of people who leave others wondering if we're telling the truth or if we're going to follow through on a commitment that we have made. The Lord reminds us in this passage, God's kingdom is a kingdom of truth and integrity, and kingdom people must be people of truth and integrity as well. Our discussion this morning will certainly deal with oaths, but it will expand beyond those specific borders to the whole realm of trustworthiness. 
we're going to look at two things this morning. That God is a God who can be trusted and that we must be people who can be trusted as well. So first, God is a God who can be trusted. To understand our call to trustworthiness, we must understand the trustworthiness of our God. This is one of his distinguishing characteristics. During the time of Christ, there were many gods that people believed in, and I'm sure people often thought that the God of the Hebrews was just one among the many. Certainly, that is still the view of many people today. God to them is no different than Zeus or Jupiter or Osiris. And while time does not allow for us to list the many reasons why that's not true, one of the most significant differences between the true and living God and his humanly created counterparts is the trustworthiness of his character. The gods of ancient Greece and Rome and Egypt could be fickle, spiteful. They didn't give a lot of reason to be trusted. In effect, they were no different than us. Offerings and sacrifices would be made to these gods in hopes that disaster could be avoided or favor could be gained, but there was no guarantee of either. These gods couldn't be relied upon. One source I found said even, even the most powerful figure in Greek mythology, Zeus, the king of the gods, is the beneficiary of lies and a liar himself. How could you trust such a one? Well, this is not the god that we serve. The one true God, the God of the universe, is a promise-keeping God. We sing a lot about this this morning, full of promises that the Lord has made. We conceive of gods who are like us, because if they're like us, we don't have to change to be like them. So if our gods lie, we can lie. If our gods seduce, we can seduce. If our gods fail, we can fail. Our God is so much bigger than that. We know that he is morally upright and true, and he calls us to live lives that are the same. And when it comes to his word, we are told in the scriptures that unlike Zeus, God never lies. The entirety of scripture is a catalog of our promise-keeping God, making good on his word. Just do a quick search of promise in the scriptures and you will see the refrain over and over again. This is what the Lord has promised. This is the promise of the Lord. The promise of the Lord was fulfilled right from the beginning. God is making promises. We see God promised that death would come if Adam and Eve sinned and it did. We see God make a promise to Adam and Eve that he would one day send a son to crush sin and evil once for all, and he has. We see God promise Noah never to flood the earth again so as to blot out all of humanity, and he's kept that. We see God promise Abraham that he would be a mighty nation and his descendants would be innumerable and a blessing to all of the earth, and we stand as heirs of that promise. God promises Moses to be with him and to lead the people out of Egypt, which he did. He promises the people a good land, which he gave them. He promised them that if they sinned, they would be cast out of that land, which they were. He promised them a good king, which he has given. And he promises the way of salvation to all, which he has offered us through his son, Jesus Christ. God is a God of his word. We cannot trust in anything else the way we can trust in the word of the Lord. And he's shown us this time and time again. 
And he has most magnificently displayed that to us in the work of salvation he accomplished through his son, who came in accordance with all of the prophecies, who came to fulfill all that the Lord had promised. We, we read in the book of 2 Corinthians that for all the promises of God find their yes and amen in him, him being Jesus Christ. Why does God care so much about trustworthiness? About the trustworthiness of a person's word? Because it's the core of who he is. No lie, no deceit, no broken trust arises from God, but such things only come from evil. This is what Christ is alluding to when he says here in verse 37, anything more than this comes from evil. The very need for an oath to prove your honesty to another only exists because trust has been broken in this world. Now, having said all of that, some who are familiar with their Bibles might question, but doesn't God make oaths? Yes, he does. And again, God's not saying here that all oaths are themselves sinful. He's saying they shouldn't be necessary. But unlike oaths we make, when we consider the oaths that God has made, it actually should cause us to marvel at his character. And there's a few reasons for this, and a passage in Hebrews actually sheds light on this for us quite well. It reads, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable nature of his promise, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. This is a beautiful passage. If you have time, I encourage you to dwell on that this week, and a very helpful one in understanding our topic this morning. For one, we see here the distinction between a promise and an oath. God made the promise to Abraham, the covenant, but then he made an oath, or he swore the validity of his word. And what we see here in the writer's description are several beautiful things about the character of our God in making that oath. First, as we said, oaths, or proof of our word, are at times unfortunate tools that must be used in a world rampaged by deceit and brokenness. God should not have to ever make an oath or swear his promises to us. Yet we sinful humans, cynical and distrusting, often demand such an assurance. God shouldn't have to give this to us, but God, being rich in mercy, can at times accommodate our weaknesses and make assurances for our sake. God desired to show more convincingly. He wanted to help us in our weakness. His oath to us reveals our weakness, not his. Second, God's oaths are not like our oaths because when God swears an oath, he doesn't appeal to anything greater than himself, but simply reminds the hearers of who he is. Hebrews said, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. The two unchangeable things mentioned in this passage are the nature of God and the word of God, both immovable, steadfast realities. God's promises to us are sure. 
God accomplishes all that he sets out to do. God never lets us down. Not a single word of all that he has said has failed. And this trustworthiness of our God allows us, as the Hebrew passage reminds, it allows us to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. The next next verse says that we have this as a sure, steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a frontrunner on our behalf. God, the Lord, is often described as a rock, a bedrock for us, immovable. We can stand on his promises. We can trust in them. And we can cast out any doubt that he will keep them. He is a covenant-keeping God, and we can find rest in him. If you are here and you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, I encourage you, take time to study the promises that God has made to you, the things that he has guaranteed He may not promise us the new car we want or the perfect health that we desire, but he has promised us that he will give us his Holy Spirit if we should ask. He promises us that he will protect us from the evil one. He promises us that he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. He promises that his love will never fail. He promises that he will comfort us in our trials. He promises us that he has a plan for our lives and good works for us to do. He promises to supply our needs. He promises rest. He promises spiritual power. He promises eternal life if we set our hope in Christ. He promises to be our God forever. To be our light And he promises to one day wipe away every tear from our eyes. And he promises one day to remove the dark clouds of deceit. And he will accomplish all of this when he returns, which he promises to do. And though though he doesn't have to, he sought to help our weak faith by swearing by himself that he would do these things. These promises of our God are anchors for our soul. And if you're here today and you've not trusted in God as your Lord and Savior, all these promises can be yours as well. You simply need to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust that he will keep his word and that his ways are good. I I stand as one, as a witness, to testify that not one of his words has failed me. This is why then with such a great God that we must be people who show ourselves to be faithful as well. As ambassadors of such a God, what harm we do to the name of Christ if we cannot be trusted. So we've seen God is a God to be trusted, so now we must be a people who can be trusted. We must be a people who have the reputation that our yeses mean yes and our noes mean no. And with a little consideration, we quickly can see why the Lord strongly commands us to avoid oaths. Because oaths arose in response to sin, as we've said. Oaths are often seized upon by sin for evil purposes. And they're often broken because of man's sin and weakness. For example... 
oaths imply that we need something to prove our words to others. As we've said, ideally, our lives would be enough of an example of faithfulness that others would not need us to swear by the Lord or our mother's graves or even the Bible to trust us. Oaths are often a cover for deceit. How often has I promise or I swear been used as a tool for trickery? How often do we stake our word to manipulate others and get what we want? In fact, this was very common among the Jewish leaders themselves. They created intricate guidelines and rules for which oaths were more binding than others, which oaths you could break without being condemned, which oaths they were looking for loopholes and ways to use this to their advantage. Oaths are hard to fill by flawed human beings. One of the things that gives God the edge over us with regard to oaths is that he absolutely can and will fulfill what he says. There's nothing he's not able to do. The only thing in theory he couldn't do is fail to keep his word. We're not God in this way. The Lord even reminds us of this in the passage when he says, And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. He's speaking to our limited natures. We have no control over the natural color of our hair. We have no control over things at all in reality. All are in his hands. Therefore, our heads and conversely ourselves are nothing that we can swear by. When I promised Anna that the boss baby wouldn't appear, I acted as though I were omnipotent in that situation and I wound up with egg on my face. I made a promise that I was unable to keep. Oaths put God to the test. Because we do not know what tomorrow will bring, or the next movie preview that's going to come, we're banking on God to make good on the things that we vow. When we swear an oath, we need God to orchestrate events so that it can be kept. And that's one of the things God is trying to remind these Jewish uh, leaders of, trying to remind his disciples of here in this passage when he, he lists, don't take an oath by heaven for it's the throne of God or the earth for it's the footstool of God or Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king. As they devise these, these schemes of how to find the loopholes, they said, well, Jerusalem's less tied to God, so that one's not as severe. God's saying, no, anytime you make an oath by anything, you're binding me in this contract because I am over all and in control of all. Oaths put God's name and his glory to shame when they're not fulfilled. Even when we do not make a pledge by God's name, we're putting God's name on the line when we make promises. One might ask, if you fail to keep your word, what must this God be like whom you serve? This is why God reminds us that all oaths, whether by heaven or earth or our heads, are tied to God himself. Broken oaths are against the very nature of God. Again, we're to do all things to the glory of God. Therefore, when we make promises we do not keep, when we make vows we don't fulfill, we commit sin and we fail to follow our Lord. And it's for all of these reasons that the Lord here in our passage says we should not take an oath at all. But again, most of us likely haven't been taking many formal oaths, 
So principally speaking, how does this call from the Lord then to let our yeses be yes and our noes be no apply to us today? Well, many ways. For one, we must be trustworthy in the things that we speak. In our day, misinformation, fake news, easily edited photos and data make for great confusion and great angst among people. How many troubles would be healed and averted if people simply told the truth? The Lord says that Satan is the father of lies and was a liar from the beginning. We cannot walk in deceit as God's people. Isn't it refreshing when you feel you can really truly trust another individual? When you know you can go to them and they're going to tell you the truth about a situation, it's so refreshing it's, it's a restful thing. It's a comforting thing. We should be those kind of people for other people. Now, there certainly are times when we're going to misspeak because we are ignorant of the truth or we've misremembered something. In such cases, we apologize. We own up for our mistakes. As well, we need to be careful on the front end when we're speaking. If we're not certain about the things we're saying, we should let the listener in on that. I'll often say, I I believe this happened, but I could be wrong. I'll even do this in messages. If there's a bit of a passage that seems unclear or I'm still not certain on, I'll acknowledge that. These little nods help others to trust us. And in the end, if you are wrong, they've been forewarned of that possibility and trust can continue to be built. You don't want to be known as the person whose facts are often wrong and whose words cannot be trusted. (laughs) It's not fun when you're talking to someone and they are emphatic and they're always wrong about what they're saying. We must be trustworthy in the things that we speak and we must do what we say we're going to do. It goes without saying we should never promise to do something that we have no intention of doing. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, says the Proverbs. But most times I hope we're not scheming when we fail on our commitments. Example, The children's ministry workers asked for clocks in the children's classrooms. In an effort to be helpful, I volunteered to put them in. I told Brian, who has been serving as building manager for us, that I would put them in tomorrow. That was about three weeks ago, and they finally went in just this past Friday. That ate me up. That that hung over my head. I knew those clocks hadn't been put on, and I told him I'd put it in. This is confession hour. Brian, please... Forgive me for not keeping my word. I was talking to Sarah. She was here when I was putting them up. And I said, I'm finally getting these clocks up. And she's laughing. She's like, yeah, Brian was like, maybe I should just do it and ask for forgiveness. I was like, you don't need to ask forgiveness. I'm the one who needs to ask forgiveness. The very least, I wish I hadn't said that I would do it tomorrow. It's a terrible thing to set an expectation and then not to do it. Now, some may say, oh, well, what's, what's the big deal? But to that, I say, this really does matter a lot. Would the Lord ever do that to us? No, he wouldn't. He doesn't delay in keeping his promises. People should trust us. It's frustrating to others when we don't follow through on our commitments. It communicates a lack of care, and it reflects poorly on us and on our God. This same principle can apply to respecting others' time and showing up for commitments that we've made. Some cultures have very loose constraints on timeliness, They understand that 10 o'clock could be noon. 
We don't live in that culture. If we tell someone we're going to be there at 10 o'clock, we should be, or else we should notify them that we're not. It sounds silly, but again, these are very easy ways for us to breed distrust, to create frustration, to create little bits of adversity between us and others. And rather than building trust, we're tearing it down. Now, certainly, again, because we're not God, there's going to be mistakes, things we simply don't get to. Again, in such situations, we apologize, we own up to our mistakes quickly, and we strive to fulfill our commitments next time. We also must learn from that and not set unrealistic expectations for ourselves or others. In seeking to do good, we can displease the Lord by setting those unrealistic expectations where we'll wind up hurting rather than helping. We aren't God. I should have known that week that I was maxed out and I probably couldn't actually get those clocks up. And I shouldn't have committed to something that I really didn't have the capacity for. We've got to be careful with these things. The Lord has much to say about this, especially in the Old Testament. He does not take flippantly the vows and the commitments that we make to him or to others. This is what the Lord says in the book of Ecclesiastes. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. The Lord is saying very clearly here, I take very seriously the words that come from our mouths. I take very seriously the commitments. I would rather you not make an offering than to vow to make an offering and not do it. We can't take lightly our broken commitments. I'm sure that most of us, if we sat and thought about it, have ways that we've failed even recently. Promises we've made that we didn't keep, deadlines we said we'd hit that we didn't. Some of us might have even shaded the truth or concealed facts for one reason or the other. And I pray this message spurs us all on to be people of integrity, people who can be trusted. If there's things that come to mind this morning, repent if needed, ask for forgiveness from the Lord, from the one that you've wronged. <clears throat> And pursue holiness in this area, following in the footsteps of your Lord. And if you're the one who's been let down, we have to remember that kingdom people are people of grace. It can be very frustrating when someone doesn't follow through, shows up late, gives us false information, but we have to be people who are patient, who are forgiving, who understand the human condition. We can't let our frustrations and hurt then breed anger that becomes worse than the offense itself. We've all broken our commitments to our God. We've all failed him, yet God is very, very patient with us. He extends fresh mercy to us every day when we seek it from him. Let's be people who do the same. And as a final note, you might ask, well, what then about oaths, about formal oaths? What do I do with them? Are they okay? Are they not okay for me to take? I know we have some folks involved in the law field here with us and likely have to take oaths and swear in court. We haven't talked about this yet. The question, I believe, does leave room for personal convictions on this matter. We do see God use oaths in court proceedings in the scriptures and the Old Testament law. 
to ensure truth is being spoken. However, I will say, I think the Lord's words are emphatic, we should avoid oaths at all cost. There are ways even in court where you can avoid swearing on the Bible, but still affirm to the court that you can be trusted and to speak your word. One of the ways this gets challenging is people who know us should know that we're trustworthy, but people who don't know us live in a world where people don't tell the truth. And so we're going to be in situations where we have to help them understand that we will keep our word. But if you should, for whatever reason, make an oath or a vow, know that you are engaging with fire. Be honest and keep the words that you say. Again, the Lord does not take it lightly. We may struggle with these things. We may struggle at times to keep our commitments, but I want us to leave this morning not feeling a weight over things that we've not done or ways that we want to change, but I want us really to be motivated by what we were talking about in the beginning, that our God is a promise-keeping God, that our God is faithful and true. And as that truth works on our hearts, that we would then be people who follow the same. And know that the Lord has given us His Holy Spirit to help us to walk in integrity before others. Let's be people who have no need for oaths, whose word is as close to gold as sinners' words can be. We have the honor of being ambassadors for our Lord Jesus Christ. And in a world that is used to deceit and broken promises, we have the opportunity to stand as a bright light of grace with our truthfulness and our trustworthiness. So let's be those people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of truth. We thank you, Father, that you have kept every word that you have spoken to us. Father, I ask specifically this morning that you would help us to believe that, help us to see that. If there's any here who struggle to believe that, who see ways where they feel like you have let them down, Lord, I pray that you would carry them through that dark cloud, Father, and that you would remind them of what you have done for them already and that you would assure their hearts that you will keep your word to them. Father, help us to trust you, to believe you, to believe your word. And Lord, we ask that by the power of your spirit, that we would be people who give life to others, that we would be people who are known for being trustworthy, who are known for speaking the truth, who others can come to for help, who others can come to with questions, who others can come to when they're seeking to understand or or coming in confidence. Lord, let us be those people. We thank you that you have done this for us. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Nick Kidwell, given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.